Pastor Ed Taylor says, expect there to be a battle when you're doing what's right. Just getting on your knees is a battle. Just entering into the spiritual realm and not just coming to God with a list of requests, but really interceding and praying and praying to the point where the Holy Spirit will then inspire in you and utter words, inspire in you things that, that words can't even utter. I mean, it's a battle, the spiritual realm. And it's going to be a battle anytime you choose to do the right thing. There's going to be resistance and there's going to be a fight and there's going to be people that you would expect. You would expect to join the battle, but instead they join against you. And you're like, whoa, whoa. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. We're delighted to share the next half hour with you and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in 2 Samuel 2 on this Thursday. We all want to be successful in life, but how do you get there? We'll learn today it's found as long as we seek the Lord. The moment we go out on our own in the flesh, we'll fail miserably. David would find this to be the case. Let's turn things over to Ed and learn this most important life lesson. And so David sent messengers in verse 6. Now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened, be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. And you come to this like we read through it so quickly, but you just finally say, finally, here it is. For David waiting 10 years of difficulty. Uh, 10 years of trials and plus the kid years that, that, that he wasn't on the run. And finally, he's anointed king over Judah. Not the rest of the tribes, as you'll see, but he is a finally anointed king. It, it's finally coming. The people have finally caught up with the will of God. Because in their estimation, the people were, we want a king, we want a king. And they anointed Saul. But now God said, I have a king for you, and they're coming, and have finally caught up with God. It's interesting, isn't it, how many times people are way behind God, where it just seems like God is doing something years in advance, and God has said something years in advance, and then finally man catches up with God and agrees with him. I mean, how long? I mean, that's like the picture of the rebellious and the, and the backslidden, like, or just the resistance, you know, just the resistance you give to God. It's like, how long are you just going to hold out until you finally just agree with what God has already said? What he's already anointed. David has been anointed multiple times, and finally the people agree. And again, man catches up, and the people of Judah are finally recognizing what God has already said. David is about 30 years old now, king of Judah, and he's going to reign in Hebron for about seven and a half years. Now, when I give some numbers to you and you're note takers, it's going to be good for you to jot them down. It will help you as we bounce back and forth now through the historical narrative uh, and putting the pieces together. So I would encourage you. He's about 30 years old. He reigns seven and a half years. Verse 8. Now, Abner... 
the son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army. Remember, he was the one that was rebuked by David for not protecting Saul when they went down and they took the jug from Saul's head. Do you guys remember that? And then he ran out and, and then he, David was mocking him. You should have taken care of the king. That's this Abner. I share that with you only to remind you, Abner is a, a rat. And, and, and you'll see what I mean as we go. Rabner, the, Abner, Rabner, whatever his name is. Abner, the son of Ner, uh, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, and all over Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old. He began to reign over Israel, reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. What, what, what we're being told here is the kingdom is divided. And now we have two kings, David of Judah and Israel. You'll notice them being distinction even, even as now they're distinguishing two kingdoms. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah uh, was seven, and a half mo- uh, seven years and six months, as I mentioned earlier. Sa- Abner is Saul's cousin and the commander of his army. Abner brought David to Saul after David killed Goliath. Abner pursued David for 10 years with Saul. He was rebuked in chapter 26 of 1 Samuel uh, for, and openly humiliated when he failed to protect the king. And we're not told exactly what's going on here. We're not told, the, 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 the scriptures don't declare to us what's going on, but I think you can figure it out. He's setting up a puppet king so he can rule. He's setting up weak Ishbosheth so he can rule through him, which, by the way, is a big problem as we open up the book of Kings. It's going to be a big problem. It's going to be a bad habit for the nation going forward. And Abner perhaps doesn't see any future in a united kingdom because David not only did humiliate him, so maybe he's taken, maybe it's like a personal grudge, which which means, reminds us, you need to be quick to forgive even as Jesus Christ has forgiven you or you'll make decisions based out of emotion and grudges instead of being led by the Lord. Maybe that's what's happening here. He never dealt with that humiliating experience. But I think, you know, there's a political aspect to this, not just spiritual. And I think he knows David already has Joab, as, we'll, as we already know. And, and he doesn't see a place for him in the new unified kingdom. But he does see a place if he can put Ishbosheth up as he takes things into his own hands and anoints Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth. Those of you that are pregnant, perfect name for a new child. We'll call him little Ishi. <laughs> Can't say it too many times. So, uh, let me ask you this. Is Ishbosheth the anointed king of God? No. Did Abner and the people anoint him to be king over them? Yes. Was it the will of God? No. Listen, so many times things in your life are that easy. Does the Bible say this? Yes. Did I do this? Yes. And what, did it match what the Bible said? No. Don't do it. It's that simple. God didn't anoint him king. No. Or maybe it, it, with the illustration to make it work. Does the Bible permit this? No. Should I do it? No. And it's that easy. 
You don't need to justify it. You don't need to make room for it. You, like, it's that simple. And here is an example of going against what he clearly knows to be. You know, can you imagine over 10 years how many conversations he had with King Saul? I mean, backroom conversations, high-level conversations, management-level conversations. Just talking about, talking, I, I think that there was an element of, of reminder. Well, why are you, why are we chasing David again? Because he's the next king. But I'm the king. And you know, I can, hear, I can hear those conversations. And so he's no innocent man here. And this now is a divided kingdom. Abner got what he wanted. But within a few years, he's going to lose it all. Which reminds me of what Jesus said. If you seek to gain your life, you're going to lose it. But if you and I, we seek to lose our lives, submitting to his will, we're going to gain it. And even much more, we're going to gain that eternal aspect of our life purpose. I see so often those that get what they want but end up suffering as a result. The Bible says in Psalm 106 verse 14, they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert and he gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. And that's a hard one. He gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. Or how about this one? Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. That's the old King James, how I memorized it. The way, but the end is the way of death. Same thing. Wow. How much needless death we can avoid. You know, I'm talking about death of a dream, death of a relationship, death of fruitfulness. I'm not speaking of spiritual death, I mean physical death, but although that so many times a guy thinks that's the way it should go and in the end it's just death. It's just the end. We can, needless pain, we can avoid as we seek the Lord. Verse 12. Now Abner, the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Menahem to Gibeon and Joab, the son of Zeruiah and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Uh, so they arose and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth and the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head, thrust his sword in his opponent's side, and they all fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the field of sharp swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So establishing Ishbosheth as king was a declaration of war against David, the true anointed king of God. And Abner, I'm sure, was confident that with all the other tribes, we have a similar view in our world today. The idea is if, hey, the majority is always right. Uh, you know by now that ain't true. The majority is not always right. As a matter of fact, that many times the majority is in fact wrong. And here they are. He's probably feeling really emboldened that people are, he's got, he seems to have more people than David does. And emboldened in his confidence with all the other tribes, he thinks he could easily defeat David. But it amazes me how Abner could see all the faithfulness of God and then think God would not protect David now. I mean, he's been with him as well. Uh, he, he's watched the faithfulness of God. 
He's seen everything in someone else's life and yet still doesn't believe. Ten years, over 3,600 days of God's faithfulness was still not enough to convict uh, and convince Abner of God's faithfulness. And so now you have Joab and Abner and surely they don't want to see a major war. Why don't we just send our 12 best out there? And it ends up that they all die. But there was something going on in that battle in verse 17 that the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now verse 18, three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet as foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner, and in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. He gets in him this desire to take things into his own hands. I'll take care of him. Forget this fighting one another and sending out our guys. Forget that. Even though the servants of Israel were defeated, he's going to take things into his own hand, and he takes off. Now, remember, Abner is a seasoned military man. This would be the equivalent of like, you know, a general kind of guy that's been around the Rile and just knows stuff uh, and, and understands the military. I'm not a very military-minded person, but I get it. The longer you are, the more experienced you are. And some private that just finished boot camp is getting a little bit of, of, of uh, you know, confidence, overconfidence, you will, and just take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And so he takes off. And, and he says, uh, Abner, verse 20, um, looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? And he said, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and lay hold of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But uh, Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner again said to him, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of his spear so that the spear came out of his back. And he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. So if you're taking notes, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel were David's nephews. They were the son of his sister Zariah. And for some reason, and, and, you know, I think it's a little bit overconfidence, uh, Asael takes off after Abner, but Abner kills him. And although there's some debate on whether Abner meant to or not, but it seems to me that he did. You know, it's interesting when you're reading commentaries. When you, you read enough commentaries, there's all kinds of opinions out there. But if you just read a simple uh, reading of the text, he tried to give the brother a way out. He didn't take it, so he killed him on purpose. I don't believe it was an accident. He warned him. He told him. The text couldn't be clear. But when you read some commentaries, you got, that's why when you do Bible study, do your study first and come to your own conclusion first. Do your own word studies. Do your own study in the context and let commentaries be the absolute last thing that you read. Otherwise, you're going to get really confused. And, and it was surprising to me that a few people that I read was like, oh, he, we don't, and it looks like he didn't mean to do it. Man, you kill somebody with the blunt end of a sword, I'm pretty sure you meant to do it. Like, that, that was, you know, and you get the idea they're running and he probably pulled it back. And, I, you know, I don't know how it all happened, but I think he did it on purpose. And uh, so did his brothers. Um, verse 24. So Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah which is before Gia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit. 
and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner, verse 26, called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that there will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? This is what others would call a civil war. You have a, a, what's supposed to be a unified country now fighting against each other. And now they're trying to speak some wisdom uh, Joab says in verse 27, As God lives, unless you'd spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through all Bithron, and then they came back to Mahanaim. So there's a truce being called. Abner wanted peace from Joab, but Joab would have nothing to do with that. Eventually, he would get revenge. This is a temporary peace. It's not real. Um, but in this case, Joab um, heeded Abner's words, and they stopped chasing him for now. Verse 30. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants 19 men and Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down and of Benjamin and Abner's men 360 men who died. And then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which is in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Poor Asahel, one of those that was lost and buried. And after beating Abner's army, Joab and his men return up to Hebron for this temporary peace. It's not a real peace. There won't be a real peace until King David rules even as David is much, very much a picture of Jesus Christ, that there are all these peace treaties and things that are happening among the governments of men. Um, it's great to live under temporary peace, but true peace will not happen until King Jesus comes to rule and to reign. So, hey man, it is good to live in a temporary peace, for sure. Much better than war, much better than a civil war. But true peace isn't going to come until King Jesus rules and reigns over a unified people that are surrendered to the king. A couple things before we leave to chew on this week that the Holy Spirit would just use. Number one, there's always a battle in doing what's right. There's always a battle in doing what's right. David is wanting to do what's right. He's wanting to take the steps of doing what's right. And of course, what would we think? The natural thinking is simply, hey, if I'm inquiring of the Lord, it's not going to be a battle. But you, you, you prayer warriors know that just praying can be a battle. Just getting on your knees is a battle. Just entering into the spiritual realm and not just coming to God with a list of requests, but really interceding and praying. And, and praying to the point where the Holy Spirit will then inspire in you and utter words, that, inspire in you things that, that words can't even utter. I mean, it's a battle, the spiritual realm. And it's going to be a battle anytime you choose to do the right thing. There's going to be resistance and there's going to be a fight and there's going to be people that you would expect. You would expect to join the battle, but instead they join against you and you're like, whoa, whoa. Another thing to remember in the life of David is this. As long as he sought the Lord and sought the guidance of God, he was doing really well. <laughs> there was success. Seeking God Plus, depending upon God equals success. No matter what the outcome might be, there's a war going on, David's successful. 
No matter what it looks like to the eye, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. No matter what it looks like to the eye, doing what's right, seeking the Lord, combined with surrendering the Lord, always equals success. Don't be confused by what you see. When he went out on his own, he would fail every time. Even a seeming success in the flesh, friend, is a failure. So don't be overly convinced that doing something in the flesh, well, you know, it, did, it seemed to work out pretty good, Ed. Did you do it in the flesh? Was it from the Lord? It wasn't from the Lord. You know, I just kind of, hey, if it wasn't from the Lord, it's not going to succeed. The flesh is always the flesh. When we sow to the flesh, we will always reap corruption. Nobody, none of us get out of that. And so it's wise to seek the Lord. If we seek the Lord, God will guide us, give us wisdom. But if we go out on our own, then we're just going to take our chances. And there's no need in Jesus Christ any longer the rest of your life to take your chances. There's no more. You don't need to do that anymore. A life apart from Jesus Christ, we take our chances. You know, and maybe it's 50-50 on whether things go well or don't go well, or at least feel like that. But apart from our feelings, you don't need to take your chances. How important it is that we give God the opportunity to guide our lives. That we inquire of the Lord before venturing out. And that when we, he does give us direction, that we do move forward in that direction before we talk ourselves out of it. <laughs> right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. If you're a child of God, if you are coming with an earnest heart saying, God, please show me the right way, He's not going to lead you down the wrong path. He's not going to lead you down a path that is incorrect. He's not going to lead you into some disastrous situation. He's going to lead you in the right paths. You go into those places when you don't listen to him, when you think you know better, when you think you have more wisdom than God does, when you disregard his counsel, and you get into trouble. And so often counsel comes you know, through your daily devotions, through your time in your word, but also through godly men and women in your life. You want to be careful with the godly men and women in your life and choose to, to listen very carefully and compare anyone's counsel with the word of God. Because just because you ask your friends doesn't mean you're seeking the Lord, but just because you're seeking the Lord doesn't mean he won't use your friends or people in your life to tell you the truth. And be careful. When we get into trouble is when we take things in our own hands. We trust in ourselves, in our own heart, not the Lord. It's in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. And that's where we leave off at the end of the chapter here. It's in all your ways God's directing our paths. You're listening to Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace as we're in the early stages of a study in 2 Samuel. Are you interested in a CD copy of this message? We can send that your way for $2 if you call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-304-7223. For instant access, look for the studies online at calvaryaurora.org. Well, Pastor Ed is back with me now. And Ed, would you take a moment to tell our listeners about the two apps we have to offer them? You know, today we have so many opportunities to deliver the message of the gospel and encouragement and uh, ways of, of sharing the word with you and, and using apps on your phone, on your tablet, 
are, are the way of the future. And we have two free apps that are available to you that a lot of effort have been put in to making them, all the studies and watching live and listening to the radio. All you need to go to is, all you need to do is go to your app store, search Calvary Aurora, and you do that in two words, Calvary, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y space Aurora, A-U-R-O-R-A, and you'll be able to download them for free, be plugged in with the ministry here, with our radio station here, all of our studies. You can watch live on the app and con- connect with us, talk with us, chat with us, call us. So many ways to connect with us. So just go to your app store, Calvary Aurora, and both of our apps will show up and you can download them there. Wouldn't you like to experience revival and power in your life? Well, we picked out an excellent book this month that can help you get on that road. It's The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. This classic book has helped millions experience personal revival with Jesus Christ. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Calvary Road. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. And those that prefer to write, here's our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. We'll cover more ground in 2 Samuel Friday on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 